guys, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. I am back from vacation. That's why this is a little late. Um, went to the beach. No intro really this week. Although, while I was driving home, I stumbled upon the greatest today I learned in a long time. So, uh, to resuscitate an old segment, this is Today I Learned. John's not here to sing the song, but deal with it. So, today I learned about the Waffle House Index. The Waffle House Index, okay, is an official metric used by FEMA to determine the effect of a storm and the likely scale of assistance required for disaster recovery. It has three levels, green, yellow, and red. Green, full menu available. Restaurant has power and damage is limited or no damage at all. Yellow, limited menu, no power or only power from a generator or food supplies are low. Red, the restaurant is closed, indicating severe damage or severe flooding. So if you ever hear that we are at a Waffle House code red, then shit is really, really bad. Apparently, Waffle House will evacuate their employees and then send in a group of managers from across the country to run the store or or they'll set up like a food truck outside to continue operations. I just thought that was the coolest thing I've ever heard in a long time. The fact that Waffle House is so steady that FEMA uses them as an index for how how screwed a city is. So uh, today I say we're out of Waffle House uh, neutral. Things are going pretty well. Um, today I got Nicole Hamilton on the show. Her husband David was on a while back uh, for the RIFO, R-Y-F-O episode Um uh, it's a ministry he helps run, uh, but Nicole has a horror podcast called Kira I think I screwed that up, but you'll hear it in the episode. Uh, it's Italian, as she says. Um, Nicole uh, has been a Christian, but is a serious horror movie, serious, serious horror movie enthusiast and hobbyist, and has lots to say on being a Christian, but also being an extreme lover of horror and what horror can actually tell us about a lot of things, uh, our personal lives, our spiritual life and the world around us. Uh, it was a super fun conversation. So y'all sit back, uh, turn the lights off and enjoy the spooky show. Let's see my the pattern for me. Murderers feel agreed. I'm caught in the twisting of the vine. Go sin with ivy climbing. Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed, and joining me today is Nicole Hamilton. Hello, Nicole. 
How's it going? Am I supposed to say my last name? Is that how this goes? Oh, I don't care. No, you're you're free to do as you please. Some people aren't as forthcoming. So thank you for that. You're you're very brave. Has anyone told you that? Uh, I don't know. I've been called an old soul, but I don't know if I've ever been called brave. Uh, yep. I love that terminology. No, we were, we were just talking about uh, my professionalism in podcasting at, at this point and, uh, and how the lack thereof. And I always think it's so funny when, I guess it's just like senioritis with anything, but when you get like the new people starting up podcasts and they're just... You know, you get all the equipment, you get all like, you know, oh, what editing software and I need this, this, this and this and this. And you're so like, you know, editing for five hours and, you know, dude, I just don't care about that this far into it. Like, so I'm kind of the opposite of that. Like, I don't really I'm not so worried about the equipment and the editing and all that. Like I do enough to make it clean and not distracting, but I'm a lot more worried about the content. Like I always have an outline and tons of research and, and all that stuff. So I'm more worried about how it stitches together than like sort of how it sounds on the back end. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And I, I did do, I was talking to Dan Coke the other day on his and beforehand, he like sent me, he was like, all right, what are we going to talk about? So I can have an outline. And then he sent me back. He's like, okay, so here's what we got. And he had like this like well thought out, like bullet pointed spreadsheet. Like, and I was like, <laughs> you know, that actually works really well. I should probably look into doing something like that. I just, yeah, dude, time gets away from me. I just got back from vacation. I went to the beach this weekend. I went to Florida, actually. You're not oh, there. really? Yes. <laughs> yep. Where at? Uh, we went to Navarre. And like Santa Rosa and just the Panhandle, so not really Florida. Yeah, so that's let's. I mean, that's pretty far from us. That's like a eight, ten hour drive from us. So our feelings aren't hurt. No, yeah, no. It's <laughs> one of our other friends who lives in Miami was like, "Dude, you're in Florida. You should stop by." And I was like, "You might as well be like, oh, you're in Florida. Stop by Connecticut. Like, Florida is fucking huge. <laughs> it's like half yeah. the country. It is. It really is. I I hate." I always, when my parents lived in Lakeland, I would make the drive from Baton Rouge to Lakeland, and that's the worst drive ever. Yeah, it's pretty boring. We uh, we we haven't been to your neck of the woods. Like we used to go to New Orleans every spring for like five years in a row, and then we haven't been for like five years. But I remember that drive just being yeah, so same, boring. Same thing. Yeah, <laughs> there's just huge... it's like all interstate. Yes. It's all speed traps too. It's nothing but speed traps. That was the only time I got pulled over. I was how old was I? I was like nineteen or twenty, and I was driving my girlfriend's Saturn. <laughs> Do they even make Saturns anymore? I don't think so. I haven't I don't seen think so any. Either. But so I was, <laughs> I was driving her Saturn. Everyone was asleep, and I got it going like a hundred and twenty, and I drove through a speed trap. So it was like a 60. So I got pulled over going 120 and a 60. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, so how much is it, officer? He was like, uh, nothing. Here's your court date. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So where did y'all, y'all just moved recently? Isn't that right? No. Oh, great. We... See, this is where notes come in handy. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, we were, th so we, we travel, we travel oh. to Arkansas twice a year. And sorry, when, when they say we, so her husband was on here, David, uh, yes. for the RIFO episode, 
if you want to go back and listen to that. Continue. Yeah, there you go. So that's the we in this equation. Um, so we travel to Arkansas twice a year. We both work from home, and um, we go to Arkansas twice a year for about a month to six weeks. So often people are like a little confused. Like if I forget to post all the details or they just don't know our whole story, they'll be like, oh, are you moving or did you move or are you traveling or did you just get back? So that's probably that's probably okay. an issue. Why do you go to Arkansas? <laughs> Um, our whole family is there. Oh. So all of his family and all of my family. Uh, we both grew up there. We went to college there. We moved to Central Florida because David got a job at USF after oh, grad okay. school. Oh, and okay. we were like, oh, you know what? Like, let's go somewhere where neither one of us have a past or connections. And let's just like go on an adventure and make a new life together. And it's been great. And we've been here almost 10 years. Jeez. Yeah. It's <laughs> a long time. What part of Arkansas? My sister was born in Little Rock. Okay, so we're kind of from all over. I grew up in uh, Fort Smith area. David grew up in, in um, northwest Arkansas, like Eureka Springs, almost to Missouri. And then now my parents live in Conway, which is right next to Little Rock. Okay. So, Very cool. Yeah, from central all the way through northwest, like that whole corner of the state, we're, we're pretty much from all of that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So... Tell the people about the show you do, and that'll kind of segue us into what we're talking about, your podcast. Okay. So uh, my my whole life, I've been a horror fan and also a Christian, which is kind of a weird mix, but we'll get into that. Um, so about ooh, three or four years ago, I started writing a blog about it, and I... It had a focus specifically on horror, but also with like some of my spiritual perspective in it. And I uh, wrote that for about a year or two. And then I was like, you know what? Writing is hard, <laughs> but I can talk a lot. And when I talk, st the thoughts just come out of me. It's easier. So I was like, you know, I think I'm going to turn this into a podcast instead of a blog because I like writing, but talking is easier. Yes, it's way easier. Writing yeah. is hard. I still, I've been trying to write a book forever and it's just hard, but I'm starting you college didn't. again, so I'll be taking English. Maybe that'll be what'll <laughs> kickstart me back. Um, what's your podcast called? Oh yeah. I said everything except the name, but it's called a uh, Kuroscuro horror podcast. And, uh, the name Kuroscuro is an art term and it basically means, the contrast, it's like an art technique that the like a lot of Italians used way back in the day. And it basically uh, refers to a super deep contrast between darks and lights. So when you look at a painting that has a chiaroscuro kind of technique applied to it, it's super, super dark darks and super bright lights. And so uh. that's I chose it because of the whole contrast of like my love of horror with my Christian faith. And it just it was too perfect. So it's not great for branding, but it's, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm perfect sure you name. Get it. How do you yeah. spell that all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So, so your Christian faith. So what did that look like growing up? And then what is it now when you say, cause these days there are <laughs> lots and lots of, uh, adjectives. Good God. I am brain farting on that one. There are lots <laughs> of, uh, different descriptors for the word Christian these days. So I grew up uh, really, I'll use the word strict, Pentecostal. Yes, um, that'll do it. 
Yes. So we're not talking like Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal, Assembly of God in particular. So, uh, you know, we were in church every time the doors were open. My parents were super involved. Um, So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, my parents were youth group leaders. Uh, I started playing drums in the worship band when I was 16. Um, So church and faith was like one of the most important things in my life, culturally. Um, but also like genuinely, like I, uh, it wasn't just a game for me. I didn't just go because my family went, like I really believed it and still do. (laughs) So, um, like, as you said, especially these days, I think with a lot of people our age, you know, you just, you never know where people are and, and what it means to be Christian. And I've certainly gone through, um, a lot of kind of exploration and, and changes and a lot of the, like legalistic, like rules and like, oh, this is what it, this is what it really means to be a Christian. And, you know, this is what you do when you're a Christian. A lot of that I've sort of like found my way through and let go of, but, um, I'm still a part of a local church and go every Sunday. And, um, and, and for us also, again, we, me and my husband, um, where we're at now, we're kind of, if we say that our church is like threefold, so we go to a local church that we believe in, um, we're also a part of a church family with his mission organization. He works full-time with RIFO, like you said. That's a part of a bigger mission organization. And so we say they're one of our churches. And then we're also part of Bad Christian, which that's how I met you. Yep. Um, and so that that's our like third church, we say. And so each one of these groups um, is very different. And so... Now I feel like that's really where I found the most truth and the most purpose is being a part of all these different groups that sort of approach the Christian faith from different angles. Yeah. So at the risk of seriously sidetracking, but I thought it was interesting. So when you, when you said, when you're like, I believe those things and I still am, which is (laughs) awesome. Why do you think so many people have just, instead of, instead of, working through it they so quickly just abandoned it like they refused it you know what i'm saying it's like mm-hmm. and and i'm sure my like sample size is very skewed because i interact with a lot of the people that like struggle with it a lot of the post-christian or, or whatever but I've, that's something it's like i wonder did you ever does that mean that maybe you just never really believed or what like what do you think that phenomenon even is or like why do you think so many are just so quick to because i've been burned by it too i've had it you know of course i've had the the spiritual trauma for it but for some reason Mm -hmm. i wasn't like leaving it it was almost like a divorce it's like you know leaving wasn't really an option it was just like yeah it's gonna suck or something like that it's just like i'm not gonna (laughs) be happy with it but for like i can't just deny it yeah well for me personally and this may speak to you know why people do it I don't really know but for me personally I always I always believed like the core of it um so I feel like Jesus makes sense to me the call of the church makes sense to me and like I'm bought into that and so all of the the stuff I've been through and the negative things I've seen and the things that I have let go of are still separate enough for me that I don't feel like I have to throw everything out. 
you know, I can say, oh, this, this, and this are obviously not what we're called to be. But having a like firm foundation in the fundamental things, I think, is what's kept me anchored. But also, yeah. um, again, my my parents being so involved, I think a lot of people watch their family and their friends that say church is important and they're part of like the scarring. Well, when we, uh, when I was 18, we left the assembly of God church, me and my parents, we all left together and I watched my parents be all in, but when things weren't right, I would hear them call that out too. Like on the way home, they'd be like, Oh, this isn't right. That's not right. This is happening. And then when I was, I was 18 when we left. So that's a very important time in your life. So I think for me, I watched them, sort of like grow through their faith. Yeah. And that was, I think that, I think that helped me a lot because I saw that, oh, you can be, you can be all into this, but also question and grow and change. Damn, and it's healthy. I just realized that is exactly the case for me too. Like, yeah, my parents definitely grew as we grew. Like when I became a drug addict, my sister had her own stuff going on and like, I, I remember my high school childhood church, some things started going on there, and they moved and adapted, and, like, their beliefs, and, you know, they never, they didn't just latch on to, like, belief systems for the sake of, like, oh, this is what we're told to do. Like, they always, they basically, they lived it, which, yeah, that's that's exactly true, because I always right. look at my parents, and I'm like, they have what I want spiritually, so, like, I'm just going to kind of trust that. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, when, when people, when I see people kind of going through the whole deconstruction phase and, you know, when they have really difficult questions and they're struggling to believe, I always feel like, you know, this is something that like people have to go through. I mean, you have to find the truth on your own. You can't just latch on to something that somebody else believes. So even if that takes you through some like dark paths, I feel like you got to do it or you won't really know what you believe, you know? Yeah, no, that's very true. And that's, it's usually, yeah, when the first real thing that comes up that tests your faith, that's when you'll find out if you're just kind of going along with it or not. Well, cool. Yeah. So with being Pentecostal and Assemblies of God, how the hell were you allowed to watch horror movies? <laughs> my mom. Nice. My, my mom, um, so even to take it a step further, my mom was a pastor's kid, a redheaded pastor's kid. <laughs> and lived up to that stereotype, ran off with my long-haired motorcycle riding dad when she was 18. I mean, the whole thing. But So she grew up in a household um, that was way stricter than mine, and she didn't even have a TV until she was like 15, but she always loved spooky things. And so uh, when I was growing up, you know, I'm sure there were lots of people in the church who didn't do Halloween. I never really heard about it because in our house, we were all about Halloween, you know. Um, she would make my costumes. She would take me trick-or-treating. She loved – she had Stephen King books laying around the house. Um, she just loved all of that. And so when I was young, it was just around. So uh, the first horror movie that I saw was Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was five. And I watched it with Good her. God. You know, and I think that, um, I mean, my parents have always been pretty cool, laid back people. And so I think that she just recognized that I was also like into the spooky stuff and yeah. she just like, let me watch it. And if I could handle it, she was okay with it. And then in the summer times, um, my parents both worked and so she would take me to the video store and I would rent like, like five movies. I would rent like, you know, 
uh, Friday the 13th part one through five. And, and I would watch it like all week while they were at work, <laughs> you know, so I, I just grew up with it. And, um, and so it didn't seem weird to me to like have church in horror because it was always in our house that way. So when I got older, I started to question that a little bit like, oh, this seems a little strange because when you're young, you don't realize. And then when I got in my 20s, I started to think like, oh, I don't really know a lot of people like this. Um, but yeah, so that's how that's how I got there is just from from, you know, my mom's spooky influence. Yeah, because I was the opposite, like couldn't early on. I couldn't see PG-13 until I turned 13, that type of stuff. And even then it was like certain ones. And so I remember, though, my grandparents mm-hmm. lived down the street and they had cable, so I would go down the street and like spend the weekends over there. And that's the first time I saw uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and and I would stay up and watch like Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. Like this was like yeah, my, yeah. And that <laughs> shit would stuff. scare the hell out of me though. I, and I don't know if it was because I guess it was because I was like watching it by myself, so there was no one to like bounce anything off of. It was just like oh. Did this really happen? Like, am I watching a documentary? I don't know how to deal with this. No, I, I really didn't. And I was I was a sensitive young lad, so like, <laughs> it really, really messed with me. And, like, I remember this was, like, my early introduction to, like, horror and stuff like that was I had, um, like, the older one of my at my grandparents house there were these neighbors and it was like the older like bad kids in south carolina it's just your classic like dad makes moonshine teenage son like like a uh like a um who's the guy from the simpsons nelson it was like a classic (laughs) nelson right and so he would come over and just describe to me i don't know must have been like five or six he would just describe to me um i think it was freddie takes manhattan because he was just like telling me this is at 32 years old. Well, 31. I still remember this in the backyard. He was just describing to me how Jason like eviscerated this couple that was having sex in a hotel room. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, for some reason, I still remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so what were your early, were you like very aware of it just being like, fake and a movie and all that stuff when you were young I don't I mean I don't know I can't even remember I mean I definitely was was creeped out by certain things like I remember Nightmare on Elm Street was my favorite series like I loved Freddy but like every time I would watch a Nightmare on Elm Street I would have a nightmare every time guaranteed and be terrified but I would still want to watch it you know so it was like no permanent damage done but um so I, I definitely wasn't completely, you know, immune to it, but I just, I just really loved it. Yeah. that That's what I wonder how, well, I don't want to skip ahead, but so, so like <laughs> how much horror movies have, you know, like the eighties cheesy cartoony slasher for the most part, it's like over and done with, right. Except for like, you know, they're trying to revamp it and all that. Now you're replacing that with, um, I want to say the first movie that I saw that was like the current wave was what lies beneath with Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. And that was, and like the ring, it was when that, those came out, Japanese horror came over. If so, like the kids today seeing like Friday, the 13th, the original or like nightmare on Elm street versus like hereditary 
today. <laughs> it's like the kids seeing that. And I've gone, you know, here in Lafayette, Louisiana, every time I go see a horror movie, lo and behold, some mother brings her entire family of little children to see these Oh, movies. goodness. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, there is a massive difference in my mind between, like, the themes of the 80s and early 90s and, like, now of just, like, straight up really jacked up things. Well, and that it depends on, you know, what you're looking at, because there is plenty there's like hereditary level disturbance since the beginning of horror. It just a lot of times it wasn't mainstream Um, since slashers were so big in the 80s. I mean, that's stuff that went to the theater. That's stuff that got a lot of play. But there I mean, there have always been super disturbing horror movies out there. Um, but yeah, uh, when we went to see it a couple years ago, mm-hmm. there were lots of pre-teens in there. And I'm like, look, I know the kid from Stranger Things is in this. This is not Stranger Things, y'all. No. Like, no, 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 not at all. What are you doing with your children in here? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. So what, so how did your like love of that kind of evolve into a more serious like hobby or whatever you want to call it? So basically, because I've been watching horror since I was young, I'm now 35. So I have three decades of experience with the horror genre. And I also have about three decades of experience with Christianity. So I feel like I'm just about at expert level with both. Um, and because they've both been on sort of the same timeline, um, it's just been interesting to see how they evolve. And like I said, when I got to be somewhere in my 20s is when I really started thinking about like, okay, why are both of these things important to me, have been since childhood and still are? Like, what's what's the deal there? Like, is there a connection? Is there not a connection? And um, I think what really did it for me, what really helped me figure it out is I was listening to an interview. Well, I read an article first and then listened to an interview with Scott Derrickson. Uh, And he is a director. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, He's a Christian. He's a professing Christian in Hollywood. He directed Exorcism of Emily Rose, Sinister, and then also most recently Doctor Strange. Yeah, okay. That's it. Um, He's super smart. He's... He's older than me. He's probably he's got to be in his forties, like mid forties. But um, I just every he's everything he writes about and like how he talks about horror movies makes so much sense to me. And I can tell I'm like he comes from the same background I come from, and I'm like he's thinking about the same things I'm thinking about. And one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is he said that it's almost impossible to make an amoral horror movie, not immoral, but amoral, meaning there is no bigger meaning to this. Every, almost every horror movie you watch has some kind of deeper meaning. And I think it really boils down to just like the name of the podcast, Curascuro. When you think about horror, everything is high stakes. Like everything is good versus evil dark versus light and because i because to me horror represents the dark and faith represents the light it just hit me that like that's why this resonates with me because i i get it because i believe in spiritual things when i watch horror movies it just makes perfect sense to me you know and um i've heard 
a few people in my life they'll say oh yeah oh wow like you like you like scary movies like oh like i just i can't watch that stuff because i believe in it and i'm like so do i oh man (laughs) that's why i like it (laughs) i will totally confess that like i'm guilty of and i god do you look back at your life and cringe sometimes i'm totally guilty of using that phrasing like for things that it was just a a total cop-out maneuver but yes no so i get it yeah what so what is your what's the most jacked up horror movie you've seen personally mm-hmm. oh boy um probably oh gosh okay that's that's hard and so we'll we'll say when i say jacked up we'll say left its mark on you and wish you didn't see it Okay. Oh. Well. Pro- okay. So I do, I don't have a I don't have a good answer for that, <laughs> um, because I feel like there's not any I can think of off the top of my head that I that I regret seeing. Um, there is stuff I will not see. You know, I, I do my research, and and you hear people talk about certain things, and I just won't go there. Like, um, like a Serbian film. Have you ever, yeah. That is what exactly what I was going to say. Do like, I have, don't need to see a Serbian film. I know, but do you not have? Is it is that morbid curiosity in you though? No, no. not for that. For some things. For some things. Like, um, so there's this French film called called Martyrs. Yeah, that's one. That's on my list of will not see either. Okay, well because have you so, seen it? Oh yeah, and I love it. What? It's cute. It's a beautiful horror movie. That's the and, rape revenge one. No, 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 no. You're thinking about uh, I spit on your grave, maybe, or Last House on the Left. Maybe those also. I wish I didn't see. But Martyrs and like disclaimer for the normies in your audience, like don't go see Martyrs <laughs> unless you're into horror. Um. It's like, it's, I mean, it's tough. It's really dark. It's fairly gory. It's tough. Uh, the French are great at this. Uh, yeah. It's called New French Extreme. And their films are beautiful, but they're really dark and they're really tough. But the plot and what Martyrs has to say. So that's kind of it for me, I guess. Like, I don't mind tough content if... If we're getting somewhere, if we're saying right. something, so you're, you know, you're, then I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, like, because Rob I, Zombie, I can't get on board. Eli Roth, neither. I cannot get on board. Can yeah. you not get on board? The sn- you have yeah. nothing to say. It's just, it's <laughs> just the torture porn and the snuff film, basically. See, I went through. Well, and yeah, my my hostel story is that I was in. This was I literally like one week in hell. So I was I had been committed to a psych ward. And it was just one hallway, <laughs> one hallway, right, uh, with the rooms, and there's one common room with one TV. They only turn the TV on on Sundays, and everybody gets to watch a movie. So what does everyone in there pick to watch? Fucking hostile. So I'm, wow. I'm in a psych ward, locked wow. in there, detoxing, and they just have hostile playing. And I was like, what? Why why is this happening to me? That was the worst experience of my life. Yeah, things things like that just make me feel awful. Same with with Rob Zombies. I can't 
Uh, I hate rape scenes. That always is where I usually draw the line. I guess yeah, not you, a fan. No, but I guess <laughs> you can. I guess when it because that's an interesting thing too is like what is necessary to show graphically to get your point across because there's some directors that'll say who i can't wish i could remember who it is he says that the whole point of him making violent movies is to show how horrendous violence is and that's like his thing um i don't i guess it's a real weird line of like how much do you need to graphically show to get your point across before it's like and then like what what does that say about the writers and the directors and the actors of people just like watching this be reenacted. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's like we give a a huge pass to even, I love Stephen King, but like the stuff in his books is pretty ridiculous. And what, what is that? What does that even mean? Is that like, is it a sin to even write things like that? You know what I mean? It's like, who knows? I mean, really, it's like, I'm kind of asking these questions out, out loud. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, this is actually a great segue into something that I have in my notes. Um, and this is something that I've really been thinking about and kind of discovering lately. So this is kind of some new stuff. Um, because I without turning this into a long story, I had a woman at my church kind of like confront me about horror. Now she didn't come at me. Like she posted something and I commented and like it went from there. And it's somebody I really respect. You can go for I mean, the long I, story if you want. Like, okay. Like I wouldn't waste my time on somebody that I, I don't even respect, you know, but she's, she's a woman at our church. I really respect. And she, she basically said that, um, Oh, if if we only knew how anything Halloween grieved the Holy Spirit. And she posted this in like October, you know. Oh my God. And so I was like, I just feel like I have to say something. So um I sent her a link to my very first blog post. It's called Fear and Faith. And it basically outlines everything I just told you about the dark and the light and all that. And I just thought that she might benefit from like a different perspective, you know, because maybe maybe she's just never thought about this before. And I know that she knows who I am and where I'm at spiritually and that she respects me as well. And so I thought, well, maybe if she sees this perspective, she might be willing to change her mind. Um, And so I don't know if she read it or not, but she came back with a response. Oh, and I also added to it. I was like, listen, I said, I have, this is something I've been into my whole life. Um, I have prayed about it. Um, I even like, this sounds going to sound really lame, but I even like fasted from like all horror for a month one time just to like see. And again, I've never felt convicted about it, but it's one of those things that it's like, maybe I should just check myself and see where I'm at here. Um, so, you know, there's nothing on my conscience about it. So I shared that with her and she came back and was like, well, maybe you should prayerfully seek the Lord and fast again. And maybe the Lord will show you something new. And I'm like, woman. (laughs) Oh Maybe the Lord God. will show you something new. That, <laughs> that is, my, you know, that was my attitude. And so um, that's the most pushback I've ever gotten, though. And like I said, I sought that out. She didn't just come to me. I sure. commented, you know, so. Um, but, you know, you hear people quote the Philippians 4.8, whatever things are true, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, blah, 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 blah. Think on those things, right? Like, yep. And I've heard that one quite a bit. Basically, um, garbage in, garbage out to sum right. it up. 
Which I agree with. I think it's it's important to pay attention to the company we keep and the thoughts we think and you know and and what we consume. I do think that's important. However, you know, some Christians might say, and you hear people say this about Game of Thrones, which I have not watched Game of Thrones, so I don't really have a good like radar Weird. for this. I was just thinking that in my <laughs> mind. But you know, some Christians might say like, "Oh, you shouldn't consume media with like murder or assault or sex or betrayal. <laughs> like it's of the world." And I'm like, "That there is the, of the Bible." <laughs> there goes the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and so I really feel like if God felt like these elements were valuable in his story, then I believe we should be able to express those things in our art. Yeah, very right. true. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think there are definitely lines to be drawn. However, I don't think I'm the person to tell somebody else where that line is. I will choose what I am going to watch and not watch. Um but I do feel like Christians in general want to keep everything very safe. You know, yeah. and if you're a Christian and you're an artist, there are certain things you shouldn't address. And I'm like, no, it's yeah. all fair game. <laughs> yeah, no, agree. Someone should really make a horror cut of the Bible where it's just like the, the witch of Endor and all the Canaanite <laughs> slaughters and the uh, who was it? that Samson cutting that guy's stomach open and his fat spills all over the yep. floor. And yeah, there's some gnarly, gnarly, gnarly there things really in there. Is. There really is. And which anybody, any Christian who says that there is no value in violence and in gore, I would ask them, have you seen the passion of the Christ? Right. And if they yeah. say yes, I would say, did you find value? in the depiction of the crucifixion of Christ. And they're going to say, yes, it was moving. It was incredible. And I will say, well, there you go. That, well, and, that proves that there can be value in violence on screen. Well, and you know, and this is in those same people, this is I've, so one of the most sickening movie going experiences I've ever had was when I went and saw American sniper and it sickened me because, because it's like it, the and I'm you know I am casting judgment on that entire crowd. That's fine. That's that's this is what I observe. But it was the type they seem to me the type of people that would make those you know uh, stand for the flag, kneel for the cross type of people bumper stickers, right? Mm -hmm. And the same people that'd be like, "There's no value in violence," and they are literally you know cheering their heads off, watching you know cheering like ought to be clapping when you know every kill he got every person he murdered and it was just like we are a very strange group of people in what type of horrific suffering we applaud or like reject and it it's, really yeah, it was like the grossest like obviously propaganda like yeah murder some brown people because they suck you know <laughs> and it really like uh it was gross but yeah, I don't, I think, I wonder, I guess it is, yeah, people, it's like leftover satanic panic type of stuff, probably, of like whatever yeah. you watch. I mean, I remember being warned away from 
like the the rumor the sunday school rumor was like have you heard of dungeons and dragons like you actually oh, yeah. cast spells oh that was of stuff. the devil yeah. of the devil straight up <laughs> and but that's why so but that's why like my favorite genre of horror is you know like um the prophecy and uh exorcism movies or anything having to mm-hmm. do with angels and demons and because mm-hmm. that's the stuff i'm like oh this is this is somewhat what i believe i guess and it's like it seems it's yeah i mean i guess it's no real need for explanation why i like that stuff but that always i've always wondered too how like the actors and actresses and especially the child actors that play the satanic possessed people and stuff it's like do you think I guess that's all artistic expression as to whether, like, yeah, that's a weird way to draw the line on that, too, where, like, oh, yeah. I'm just acting, or is this necessary to show, but just, like, horrifically demonic stuff? I don't really know what I'm trying well, to do. Well, I can tell that, but... you this. Um, whenever they shot Pet Cemetery in 1989, uh, the little boy who played Gage... Um, I've watched a ton of behind-the-scenes documentaries about that movie because it's one of my favorites. And he basically comes back and is like, for lack of a better term, he's a little zombie boy. He's a little evil boy. Um, And they talked about how they sort of handled him because I think he was two or three when they shot it. And the director, who uh, her name is Mary Lambert, give it up for female horror directors, but she talked about how with him – like, it was never, like, the filming wasn't scary. Like, it didn't feel scary on set. And that they That's talked about, true. they're like, oh, like, you're you're playing with this actor. Like, you know. So, like, the way they framed it, it wasn't like, oh, you're biting him. They, they like, helped him understand that, like, he was playing or this or that. So, I think when it comes to specifically, and I know you're talking about kind of broader mm-hmm. things, but specifically with, with child actors in those positions, I, I think they have, like, you know, their little tricks to, like, keep them from damage <laughs> no that makes sense i was reading something too about the little girl from the exorcist or uh poltergeist and mm-hmm. the scene where um she was getting everything was getting sucked into the closet apparently she had like a massive panic attack and like spielberg had to go like hug her and calm her down and be like okay i'm gonna do that again <laughs> do you, how how responsible do you think because it's interesting with people like um like ann rice who did all these works and then became Christian um, or had faith or whatever. I think she she was like, I'm no longer officially Christian because people that are called Christians suck. But how <laughs> responsible are artists for their work and what it does? Because it, I mean, that, it literally can be eternal. I mean, you have things like Dracula that, you know hundred years old do you think like is there a level of responsibility or is it just that's what artists do is just like they get these i mean that's kind of because i always think about like where does art come from and it really does seem to just kind of like manifest and like i can't really tell you where it comes from i just like get some sort of inspiration and i churn it out and then there it is i just kind of let it go and do you think there is any sort of like culpability or responsibility? Oh, look, there's David. 
You can say hi if you want. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the creepiest hi in the world. I can hear it now. This one's got a hornet on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought you were done because it was really quiet. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. That one's on me. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that is a really interesting question. And, and I don't know that I have a a definitive thought on it. I, I feel like I tend to lean towards the you got to make what you're going to make and, and just be true to your vision. Um, but that's because, you know, I, I am an artist. And so I feel really strongly about just the purity of expressing your vision. And also I feel very strongly about censorship of any kind. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if I was going to, if I was, if I was writing a horror movie or directing a horror movie, I mean, I do think I would be sensitive to those things. Of course, my style is not, hardcore gore rape revenge so naturally that's just not what would come out of me um so I, I think a little of both I mean depending upon where you are I mean if, if you're if you're a Christian artist I feel like you're always going to have a little bit of a sense of like the grander goal and and be thinking of of other people to some extent but if I had to fall on one side or the other, I would say you just got to make what you make and you can't be responsible for how somebody on the other end receives it. You know, it's going to be different for everybody. That's true. That's a, it. yeah, responsibility always scares me of like, I guess, the, but I guess that goes back to the fear of like ultimate culpability where like one day you're going to have to answer for everything, um, which I'm not even sure where I'm at with that. I guess I do still believe that, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's just a big thing of like I I remember being <laughs> I was a weird child, but I would I would be nervous for people like in movies or actors like oh man one day you're gonna have to own that and I do not <laughs> want to be you. Um, well, so let me ask you this: Do you mm -hmm. think that an actor? An actor who portrays a demon-possessed person or a writer who writes it or a director who directs it, that kind of scene, and puts it out into the world. Do you think they are more responsible than you when, like, you snap at your coworker or say something bad about your boss or whatever? I would say, <laughs> well, the, the difference is me snapping at my boss is a localized event that, well, I mean, probably not because it will ripple out from there because they'll then have interactions with other people so maybe not i guess it, the the difference is the the audience the media mm -hmm. and the platform of you know if i say something on here more people directly are going to hear it than if i just talk to my coworker tomorrow so does that mean that there is more responsibility if you have bigger influence yeah i mean that yeah. makes sense yeah, I mean, I guess so. And just the fact of how some things become literal, like, I mean, you can change culture. You can start whole movements, like movies and media. I mean, I think back to how much certain movies, like, literally changed my life. And I would say some for the worse. Like, that's how I fell in love with drug culture was through music and movies. And does that mean that they have a certain culpability in that? I don't know. You know, I guess that is an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, like it is, it's a tough question. Yeah. Hmm. And I think it's definitely a conversation worth having. I would love to, um, I would love to talk to 
an actual like musician or director or somebody and just see how they feel about it and like what their insights are for sure. Have you ever heard of Cursive, that band? Yes. Yeah, I love them. So there was, yeah, I do too. And that was he, Tim Casher was very formulative. Him, uh, Bright Eyes, Connor O'Burst were all Mm -hmm. very formulative in me falling in love with the idea of like the drunken romanticism type okay. of romanticism mm-hmm. of being an alcoholic and i did read an interview later on with tim and they were asking him like any regrets or whatever and he did say he was like yeah i do regret making it seem like this like making this awful thing seem attractive and seem like something you would want to because then you have you know bring it back to like horror and movies you have uh the claybolds with columbine like citing the matrix and like very they're their whole aesthetic was very obviously pulled from the matrix and other things. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know, but of course, is that the matrix's fault? No, not at all. And that's like unforeseen consequences. And you can't live life as an artist that way of worrying about how anyone's going to take things differently. Right. Well, so I have a, a, a kind of a spinoff from that too, because, you know, of course, Marilyn Manson was like, raked over the coals for that as well Oh, he got crucified for that. yeah unfairly um and so what i was saying earlier about you know not being a fan of censorship in the least there's a group of people that uh that i know that i'm close to and they were going to marilyn manson was going to play a concert in their town and they were like oh we're gonna go out and just like chill in line and like meet people and just like basically go do like ministry to the Marilyn Manson kids, which I thought was really cool. I was like, Oh, that's cool. You're just going to be there. Cause it's kind of a dark culture. So you're just going to hang out, be available. Like that's really cool. But then they said that they were like praying that the show would get canceled. Oh dude, come on. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I can't, that's lame. I can't get behind that. Like, what yeah. is that? We're, you know, like what? That's lame. That's I'm like, okay, you guys went a little too Christian on me there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very misguided. Like, I mean, I get it. Ah, yeah. So, once again, the things of just looking back and just like, gosh, we just really screwed things up. Um, What do you... So, what's your... How much real-life stock do you put into things like witchcraft and sorcery and demons and ghosts? We'll start with ghosts, actually. I talk a lot about demons, I realize, but I never talk about ghosts. Are you a ghost believer? I think so. Have you ever had any, have you had any, we'll call them dark spiritual encounters? Well, not, not really. There is one situation that I was near when I was a kid. This is, and this is getting pretty heavy pretty fast, but... There was like a demon possessed woman at our church. It appeared, and I'm sure there are plenty of people out there listening. There, like that's ridiculous. That's not true. And right. again, I was a kid, and like I don't know, but all I know is that this woman, she was like speaking in really weird voices, and she was like banging her head against the floor, and like all the super weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And. So that was like a dark moment. Now, I didn't like I was not super near this woman. I wasn't like right next to her. Um, but I just I knew kind of what was going on in the room. Um, so, again, I can't 
confirm or deny the reality of that, but that was super dark. And I, and I know that it affected my parents in like a really serious way. Like it shook them up. Um, other than that, I, I've never like seen a ghost or really experienced anything that I would say is paranormal. I don't think, um, I definitely have times where I have feelings about people or like, I kind of know something's going to happen. So, not specifically something's going to happen, but I'll feel like something is off and then I'll find out later yes. like, Oh, this bad thing was happening. Um, but I think because I'm a Christian and I believe in all that stuff. I think that's just like a discernment gifting, you know, yeah. about people. No, um, totally. I've never had some kind of like psychic episode or, you know, like, ah, uh, you're going to get ran over by a red car. Don't walk yeah. into this intersection. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. Um, no, so for sure. I, so I don't, I, so I, I think I probably believe in all of that to some degree. <laughs> I think I would be willing to suggest to that with how popular a genre horror and ghosts and exorcism stuff too, it seems like people largely want or do believe that also, you know, as much as like intellectualism is prided these days and like science, it's still a massive money making machine. So like there's interest there for sure. And I think that even people who are, like, super scientific will tell you, like, we can't know everything, you know? I mean, there are things that are just unexplained that, like, science and, you know, answers that can't explain. So, you know, there's always going to be some gaps there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what, what's your... What are... As we're, as we're kind of winding down, what are your favorite horror movies with messages like what would you if you had to like recommend any with like really deep messages or just really important messages or just really good ones maybe that people haven't typically heard of so i knew you were gonna ask me this and i still was like can't come up with super definitive so i'm gonna give you some answers and the next time i talk to somebody about it they give me different answers sure um, so I'll start out with one that's super serious that has had a lot of meaning to me over the past several years, and it's another French film. <laughs> so again, if you're a normie or like a casual watcher, maybe don't watch this, but it's called Inside. Um, I've heard of that. Okay. And it is basically about a pregnant woman who is assaulted in her home. This woman dressed in all black shows up at her house and basically tries to take her baby. Like, she's very pregnant. She's, like, basically ready to deliver. And this woman shows up and is trying to attack her and take her baby. And um, it's it's one of those movies that the first time I watched it, I didn't really think it had any deeper message. Um, but then I went through a miscarriage and watched it again. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a film about child loss and infant loss and the female reproductive cycle and what a horror it is. <laughs> and um, so I don't know. I don't know any. I don't know if anybody else has ever gotten that from it. But to me, it's obvious now when I watch it. Right. And so that that's one of my my favorite kind of like profound horror movies. And it was written written by dudes, directed by dudes. I do not think they meant this when they created it. 
Um, but unbeknownst to them, they made this really profound movie about what women go through. <laughs> huh, nice. Um, so there's that one. Uh, just because some of my basic favorites, I love John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, I So I love a really good, like, bleak ending. And that movie has a really genius kind of bleak ending. And you yeah. don't know exactly what's happening, which I, which I always kind of love an ending, too, where you get to sort of decide... Yeah, you know, um, of course, I love Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. That's my vanilla answer, but it's really great and continues to be great. How excited um, are you for Doctor Sleep? Um, I'm kind of met on it. Like, really? Did you read it? I haven't read it. Oh and my god! So I just got it actually. Okay. Yeah, you and need to read it. Well, I was gonna read it, and then I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to watch the movie without reading it, so that I can just watch the film and not have like judgy eyes. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. The book is it's so good because it like uh it's where he because I love uh how he later addresses like his alcoholism and his in his writing and his addiction so it's really good. Like Danny started uh drink it's grown up Danny and he starts uh, he became an alcoholic to to shut off the shining because he was tired of dealing with it. Which is so nuts from yeah. <laughs> everything he went through with his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's see what else. Oh, so. Some of my favorites from, like, recent times, um, I love Sinister, which I mentioned earlier, Scott Derrickson movie. Um, it gets a little, like, cheesy, predictable at the end, but... Um, the sequels were so bad. Yeah, it's true. It's true. He didn't The first one was amazing, stuff, though. Yeah, well, and what I really amazing. like about the first one, if you if you ever have a chance to listen to the commentary track with the director and the writer, oh my gosh, it's so great. Okay. Like, it's so great. But they talk about how it's a horror movie about watching horror movies, basically. So I this mean, guy watches a film, and but just from watching a film, he's invited this thing into his life. So it's kind of really yeah, relevant to our conversation. that's basically what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things, the next time you watch it, one of the things that the director pointed out that I thought was genius is that the first time he sees the Boogeyman in one of the Super 8 films, the first time he sees it, well, no, no, no. Hang on. I'm messing it all up. So he watches the Super 8 film and sees this like family murder. And he calls the police station. He calls 911. And she's like, what's your emergency? And then he looks over at all of his books that he has in his office from his successful novel. And you see him looking at all these books. And she gets back on the line. And she's like, did you have an emergency? And he's like, no. Because he's thinking, if I tell the cops about this, it's all over. But if I keep digging into this, I can be successful again, right? Yeah. So he basically is putting his own like success and his own drive over the safety of his family. So once he hangs up the phone and goes back to watching the films, that's the first time he sees the boogeyman in the film. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch it. Yeah. I so that. I was like, oh, that's really good. There's like really good. There's a really good message in there somewhere. So um yeah and then also uh another good modern one that i love is the strangers yeah no i've never seen that that's on my it's been on my damn list that's with the the um white hooded people home invasion it is nothing fancy it's super slow burn um and again there's no like big reveal in the end it's just kind of flat but just the way it's shot and how simple the story is, I just it's it's very unsettling and it's a good one. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to they. Uh, Derrickson did say that the next Doctor Strange is gonna be like scary, the first scary Marvel movie. So I know, says. I heard that, I heard that, yeah. and I was like, is he just saying this? Or yeah, because I've heard that before. I've heard that before. It's because it worked. It drummed up my interest. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I don't think they're gonna put an R rating on it. No, no way. Which that doesn't. It doesn't have to be R rated to be scary, but you know, doesn't hurt. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So tell everyone where they can find your show. Um, you can find me on Spotify and iTunes at Curoscuro Horror Podcast, or you can go to curoscurohorror.com. And uh, I can spell that for the people if that helps anybody. <laughs> it does. And I'll post a link in the show notes. Okay. As well. It is C H I A R O S C U R O. Yep. I definitely would have spelled it wrong. <laughs> I was going to go like, uh. Yeah. Well, remember, C- it's Italian. So, yeah, you start with the C H. <laughs> yep. Well, Nicole, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it and hope to talk to you all soon. Oop, it glitched out. What was the last thing you said? Yep. <laughs> so thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Awesome. Thank you.